Good morning, this is Pamela Johnson, and I'm back talking about pulmonary CTA, optimizing patient selection, protocol design, and interpretive performance. So in the first of our three talks, we covered patient selection and emphasized the importance of following appropriate use criteria to order pulmonary CTA to ensure that the patients who need the study get the study and that those that really are not going to be benefited by the imaging test avoid unnecessary use. Then we talked about protocol design and now we're going to review CT findings to optimize interpretative performance. So the classic findings of an embolism within the pulmonary artery is a filling defect. It may appear as a donut sign if there's contrast surrounding the clot and the clot can also be eccentric particularly when it's chronic. One of the hardest diagnoses to make is when there is a vessel cutoff in the peripheral branches because as they get smaller, it's harder to appreciate the fact that the contrast enhancement level is, is low in one tiny subsegmental branch. You may see an indirect sign of oligemia, although this is not common. Pulmonary emboli are usual multi usually multiple, but there are times when there's an isolated subsegmental or segmental thrombus, and they occur more commonly in the lower lobes. So let's review some of the findings that we see on CT exams, beginning with this case where we have an axial and a sagittal uh, images from an IV contrast enhanced pulmonary CTA. On the axial image, we see thrombus in the right lower lobe pulmonary artery, and on the sagittal MPR, you can see nicely the, the elongated artery with the thrombus in the lumen and contrast surrounding it, which accounts for the donut sign on the axial image. In addition, you can see that there's collapsed lung, some of which is ischemic, as evidenced by the area of decreased enhancement. So when we see well demarcated areas of decreased enhancement within collapsed lung, we need to be concerned about pulmonary ischemia and infarct in the setting of a pulmonary embolism. And here's just a larger view of that donut sign of the thrombus within the lumen. And again, the sagittal MPR and a nice example of pulmonary ischemia and or infarct in the atelectatic lung. Atelectatic lung should enhance homogeneously. The causes of decreased enhancement include ischemia or infarct, as in this case, as well as infection and edema. But in infection, in patients with infection and edema, the decreased enhancement is more amorphous. It doesn't have a sharply demarcated area, which is consistent with a vascular territory. This is in one of the more challenging diagnoses so as you, as I scroll inferiorly at the base of the lungs, where the arteries are very small, this is where it becomes dif more difficult to identify a pulmonary embolism, particularly in a busy practice. Let's go back again. Let's look one more time here. Watch that right lower lobe pulmonary, subsegmental pulmonary artery. The enhancement level gets very low. It's much more conspicuous on the sagittal MPR. So always evaluate images in the axial plane and then look coronally and sagittally to see if there's any finding on the, on the MPR that you did not appreciate on the axial images. S similarly, if you see a thrombus on the axial images, it's important to look at the MPRs and confirm it in two orientations because noise, motion artifact, 
mimic clots on axial images and when you look on the coronal in particular it becomes apparent that it's not a real thrombus. Just showing here a measurement of the attenuation within a small thrombosed branch which is about 122 Hounsfield units compared to 400 Hounsfield units in the patent artery. So this is the kind of embolism that uh, we certainly want to image promptly. This is a saddle embolism across the main pulmonary arteries. And emboli can occur all throughout the pulmonary arterial tree. Here we have main right and left pulmonary artery clots, large thrombus. So in either of these cases, this is when at Hopkins we have a pulmonary embolism attack team. And if we see thrombus, a saddle embolism like this, or large occlusive thrombi, we um, the teams consult interventional radiology to determine whether the patient requires thrombolysis and direct thrombolysis of the clot in the pulmonary artery. Another example of a patient with large bilateral pulmonary emboli extending from main pulmonary artery into the lobar branches where it is nearly occlusive. So describing the extent of clot and whether it's occlusive, very important to determine patient management. Another example of low bar to segmental pulmonary emboli, again bilaterally, then extending into segmental pulmonary arteries in the left lower lobe and into the subsegmental branches in this case. So uh, the, this small subsegmental embolism is almost a, almost a completely different process or at, at a minimum, a very different management paradigm from the large saddle emboli or the large main pulmonary emboli that we saw a few slides ago. And when we're interpreting these studies, it's important to understand that there are about, f there are very simply five different management algorithms for a patient with an acute pulmonary embolism. So we talked about the saddle embolism. That patient is going to be evaluated for interventional thrombolysis or even embolectomy by the cardiothoracic surgeon, depending on whether they're stable, whether they have right heart strain, what their operative risks are, can they be anticoagulated. But that's the evaluation that has to be performed when we see a large embolism. So Describing the size of the clot and the locations is important. It's going to affect how they manage the patient. Without an interventional procedure, patients will be anticoagulated, especially in the setting of, uh, of large clot burden or multiple emboli. And so, but again, we have to detail how much thrombus there is and whether there is right heart strain, even more important than the, than the, um, clot load is whether there's right heart strain because that is the predictor of a bad outcome. So if you see a patient with a large clot burden and right heart strain, if they're unstable, they're going to be anticoagulated with heparin and go to the intensive care unit. If they're stable, they're going to be admitted and anticoagulated with heparin. So that the stable versus unstable is obviously the clinical team's uh, determination, but it's important for the radiologist to detail the amount of clot and also whether the patient has right heart strain, if that determination can be made. 
The next algorithm is the patient who might have a few small peripheral clots, no right heart strain, and they're stable, and they can be treated with, um, with uh, either IM or PO medications and discharged and followed in the ambulatory setting. Then lastly, there's the isolated subsegmental PE where we don't have a consistent consensus of how these should be managed because of the risk versus benefit of treatment. The CT imaging resolution is so much better than nuclear medicine VQ scans that we now see these isolated subsegmental pulmonary emboli and they uh, and, and we can make the diagnosis however the question is whether these patients should be anticoagulated when there's only one small peripheral thrombus and as early as 2007 Remy Jardin began to propose that there are some patients who can avoid anticoagulation when the risk of the anticoagulation outweighs the benefit noting that there's an intrinsic fibrinolytic activity in the lungs that allows small emboli to resolve spontaneously. In other non-radiology literature here in JAMA, there was a clinical guideline synopsis that reiterated that in some patients who do not have, who have a subsegmental PE, have negative DVT studies in the legs, and a low risk of recurrent VTE, that it is suggested that surveillance is preferred over anticoagulation. The challenge with this is there are two challenges. One is that we don't have any good randomized controlled trials to support this decision making. And the second is that while we can clear clots in the from the femoral to the femoral vein to the to the distal ankle, we can't image the pelvic veins where large clots may be hiding. In many cases, that would change the waveform on a venous ultrasound so that you would suspect a clot higher up in the pelvis, but that is not a 100% reliable way of diagnosing or, or excluding a pelvic vein clot. So in the emergency medicine literature, again, there, there was a meta-analysis which pulled as much evidence as possible and suggested shared decision-making in these cases. If there's an isolated subsegmental pulmonary embolism in an asymptomatic patient, it's important for the physician or the advanced practice provider to discuss with the patient the risks and benefit of anticoagulation. As emphasized by Ali Raja, the Vice Chair of Emergency Medicine at Mass General Hospital, it's patients and providers making a decision together, discussing the risks and benefits. In the chest literature, again, patients with subsegmental PE, no DVT, low risk, against clinical surveillance over anticoagulation. And the reason being that anticoagulation carries the risk of bleeding. And there's evidence that patients are suffering complications of anticoagulation for potentially insignificant emboli, often in the presence of terminal illness, as noted in this research letter to JAMA Internal Medicine. So if you want to learn anything quickly, you go to Twitter and you send out a poll, which is what I did here, and asked, uh, do you anticoagulate patients with isolated subsegmental pulmonary emboli and no DBT, assuming it's an outpatient or an ED patient with no contraindication to anticoagulation, and got a wide range of responses, with most commonly only select patients, but that was 37% compared to 
most patients at 32% versus always at 23% versus never at 8%. So we do not have consensus in practice here, and that's because we're still waiting on strong evidence. As I mentioned, identifying right heart strain is very very important part of interpreting these cases. It's most easily and reliably performed if you have an old scan. So here we have the old scan on the left showing normal heart. This patient developed pulmonary emboli with large clot burden, which I'm not showing, but what I am showing is that the right ventricle dilated, flattened the interventricular septum, and rotated the heart clockwise. And those are the findings of acute right heart strain. This patient needs to be admitted and potentially in the unit evaluated for uh, thrombolysis, whether they need thrombolysis or even embolectomy, depending on the location of the thrombus. Another example of right heart strain, this is two images from the same day where we see clot in the right lower lobe pulmonary artery and a pulmonary infarct in the left lung base on the left image. And on the right image, you can see the right ventricle is larger than the left ventricle, flattening of the interventricular septum. Right heart strain, Results as a res um, results from increased pulmonary vascular resistance. The right ventricle dilates. The patient develops tricuspid regurgitation. We may see reflux of contrast into the inf inferior vena cava. And the RV to LV ratio is the most reliable pr predictor of morbidity and mortality in patients with severe pulmonary embolism. Multiple papers have compared different findings, including PA diameter uh, and uh, clot burden. And again, the the one thing... The one feature that keeps surfacing as a predictor is the RV to LV ratio. Reflux into the inferior vena cava. Findings of right heart strain. So um, an increase in the RV-LV ratio associated with short-term mortality, but clot burden was not in this study from radiology in 2012. Mortality predictors, inter interventricular septum flattening, or bowing and contrast reflux into the inferior vena cava, keeping in mind that we do see contrast in, uh, reflux into the inferior vena cava, sometimes just in patients with a small body habitus due to a very fast injection, so you want to see the other findings as well. Again, the RV to LV ratio is a very important thing to measure. So you measure maximum RV caliber and maximum LV caliber, and they're usually on two different slices on the axial images. All right, so we're going to we're going to wrap it up here and when we come back we'll talk about secondary funding findings and then unusual cases and causes of pulmonary emboli. Thank you for your time. Have a great day. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.